0: Shalom, I'm Yaakov, and you're listening to Line Upon Line, a podcast dedicated to a Messiah-essential understanding of the scriptures. In this episode, we look at Sefir Amos chapter 4, that is, the book of Amos chapter 4. I'll begin by reading my translation of the Hebrew text, Amos 4, beginning at verse 1. Listen, hear, Comprehend, obey this particular word, essence, substance, you cows of Bashan, a fruitful place, who are on the mountain of Shomwon, Samaria, guardians. You are the oppressors of the poor, weak, vulnerable, the crushers of the needy. The speech to their lords, their masters, is enter, and drink this swears adonai the lord the master yudahavhai mercy in his holiness for behold now pay attention days are coming upon you all and you will be lifted up on spears and your posterity in fish pots and bursting forth you will go out a woman conspicuous, and you will be thrown out to the harmon. Declares Adonai Yudhevavhe, Mercy, the Lord. Enter Bethel, house of God, house of Judge, and rebel at the Gilgal. Make great your rebellion, and bring to the morning your blood sacrifices after three days from tithes, and offer a sacrifice of smoke from yeast, a thanksgiving, and proclaim freewill offerings, making them heard. For this you all love, children of Israel, declares Adonai, the Lord, Master, yod heh vav mercy. And also, I gifted you clean teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not continually returned to me, declares Yehovah, mercy, the Lord. And also, I withheld from you the particular rain continually for three months before the harvest and I caused it to rain upon one city, but on another city I did not cause it to rain. A portion of one was rained on, and another portion not rained on, would wither. In staggering two or three cities go to another city to drink water, and are not sated. Yet you have not continually returned to me, declares Yudhe Vavha, mercy the lord i struck you all with blight and mildew which increases in your orchards and vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees which have been devoured by worms yet you have not continually returned to me declares yhdv mercy the lord i sent among you a plague in the way of egypt I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses, and the stench of your camps rose up in your nostrils. Yet you have not continually returned to me, declares Yudhe Vavhe, Mercy, the Lord. I overturned you all, like when, as Elohim, as God, judge, I overthrew Sidom and Amorah. And you were like a log snatched from burning, yet you have not continually returned to me, declares Yudhei Vavhei, Mercy, the Lord. Therefore, this I will do to you, Yisrael. As a consequence for it, I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, Yisrael. For behold, now pay attention. He who forms mountains and creates breath, spirit, wind, and tells to a person what he is thinking. He who fashions dawn, hovering, covering, and treads upon the high places of earth. Yod Hei Vav mercy, the Lord. Elohei, God, judge. Tzvaot, who goes warring, is his name. Now let's go through the text, line upon line, beginning with Amos 4, verse 1. Listen, hear, comprehend, obey this particular word, essence, substance. You cows of the Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, you are the oppressors of the poor, weak, vulnerable, the crushers of the needy, The speech to their lords, masters, is enter and drink. Once again, the word shema, we read here shmu, is both a request and a challenge. Listen, but don't just listen. Hear, but don't just hear. Obey, but don't just obey. Walk in obedience. This is a call not only to repentance, but to discipleship. It is the very essence of the good news of our King Messiah. What follows is the phrase, meaning the word, this specific thing. Where the former chapter speaks of et hadaval, the specific word of God, being Yeshua, in terms of his person, the words that follow here are specific warning emanating from that specific person, Yeshua. The creator of the universe speaks through the essence of creation to the created, and in particular, to the unique and chosen people of Israel. We then read, you cows of the Bashan, which means fruitful place, who are on the mountain of Shomeron, that is, Samaria, which means guardians. Bashan is an area in the north of Israel, located east of the Jordan River, and spans the tribal allotments of Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Bashan was known for its fertile soil and fruitful pastureland. The cows, that is, easily enticed wayward people of Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh had been herded southward to the idolatrous centre in Samaria. The city of Samaria was the capital of Ephraim's territory. We read this in Isaiah 7-9. And a centre where all the northern tribes gathered at times. The northern kings held court in Samaria. And Ahab, Ahab, is called king of Samaria in 1 Kings 21-1. This metaphor concerning cows speaks to the docile behaviour of the people in allowing themselves to be easily led into idolatry and the resulting injustice. More specifically, the feminine noun parot, cows, not bulls, denotes well-fed women, in this case the elite women of the half-tribe of Manashe and the tribes of Gad and Ruven. In fact, ultimately, it's a reference to all the elite women of the tribes of the north. The Targum, that is the 2nd century Aramaic paraphrase of the scriptures, reads this way, You, rich of substance. In one of his Messianic Psalms, King David uses a similar metaphor in reference to those rich and powerful men bulls, who have come against him. He calls them the strong of Bashan, Psalm 22, 12. Therefore, Bashan is synonymous with fat, healthy cattle who, lacking no good thing, nonetheless make poor decisions. Next we read, you are the oppressors of the poor, weak, vulnerable, the crushers of of the needy the upper class women in particular and the people of the north in general are being indicted for their intentional oppression of the poor and their cruelty toward the vulnerable this sin is inflated by the fact that they are harming fellow israelis they are not being accused of simply neglecting the poor Rather, they are being called out on their intentional abuse of the poor and vulnerable. This kind of social injustice destroys both the perpetrator and the victim. Failure to strengthen the weakest among us results in weakening the entire community, making it vulnerable to destruction. Therefore, the punishment that is coming upon Israel at this point in her history is the natural outworking of her sin. By her actions, she has essentially punished herself. We would do well to consider this in light of our own conduct. God offers to deliver us from self-harm. The next phrase reads, The speech to their lords, masters, is... Enter and drink. This is an intentionally ambiguous reference that likens the speech of the elite women to their husbands, Adonahim, to the speech of Israel to her false gods, Adonahim. The Targum further illuminates the meaning by rendering the speech as, Give us power that we may spoil it. Verse 2 reads, this swears Adonai, the Lord, Master Yehovah, mercy in His holiness. For behold, now pay attention; days are coming upon you all, and you will be lifted up on spears, and your posterity in fish pots. This opening phrase: This swears Adonai, the Lord, Master Yehovah, mercy in His holiness. Names God as the Lord who is over all of the Adonai Him, Lords, of the previous verse, and in spite of the fact that he has every right as a jilted husband to judge without mercy, he is nonetheless also named Yudhe Vavhe, the unpronounceable name which denotes mercy. There is no greater expression of a vow than this. When God swears, he swears by himself and his holiness, from which his character is expressed. Like the word hine that follows, this is an awesome call to attention. Next we read, For behold, now pay attention, days are coming upon you all. This use of Hene, behold, now pay attention, following the vow of God, emphasises the immediacy of the warning and the certainty of the coming punishment. The text does not say that the days of discipline might come, but that they are coming. The next phrase reads, you will be lifted up on spears and your posterity in fishpots. There are numerous variations in the English translations of these phrases. However, the Hebrew is fairly simple to understand. This is an idiomatic turn of phrase that indicates the impaling of the adults of Israel and the consumption of their progeny and their achievements. It's an allusion to the king of Assyria and his invading force who by the hand of God will enact the just punishment of God against the people of Israel. The impaling of the captives on tall spears reflects a form of torturous death employed by the ancient Egyptians and thus points back to the past oppression and suffering of the people of Israel. There is also a connection to this imagery in the words of the prophet Jeremiah later in Israel's history. And you can read that in Jeremiah 16, 16. The Targum reads that people shall take you away on their shields and your daughters in fishermen's boats. Verse 3 reads, and bursting forth you will go out, a woman conspicuous, and you will be thrown out to the Harmon, that is the flat-top mountain, declares YHWH, mercy, the Lord. This continues the metaphorical language describing the coming exile. Like a woman conspicuously escaping through a breach in a city wall, Israel will be exposed while trying to escape the invading Assyrians, and will be easily captured and exiled. We note that it is Yudhe Vavhe, Mercy, who speaks these words of judgment, and are reminded yet again that his mercy both precedes and is the result of his judgment. Verse 4 reads, Enter Beit El, Bethel, house of God, house of judge, and rebel. At the Gilgal, make great your rebellion, and bring to the morning your blood sacrifices after three days from tithes. Enter Beit El, the house of God, the house of judge, and rebel at the Gilgal, make great your rebellion. Beit El had become a centre of idolatrous worship in the north, and is named here with palpable irony. The tribes of the north enter a place once honoured by God in connection to the patriarch Jacob, and now, at this point in Israel's history, dishonoured by syncretistic worship and unbiblical sacrifices. Israel enters the house of God, her judge, with the intention of rebelling. Thus, the northern tribes are judged and found wanting by their own actions. Their apostasy is no accident. It is intentional. We read in the Hebrew, shu, from the Hebrew word, "pasha," the Hebrew root meaning rebellion. It's used again to show the intrinsic connection between idolatry, the root of all sin, and its fruit, rebellion, rebellion being the father of the many subsequent manifestations of sin. Gilgal was an Israelite camp west of the Jordan River and east of Jericho. It was a location where Samuel the prophet judged Israel and where Saul, the first king of Israel, was ordained. And it was yet another main centre of idolatrous worship for the northern tribes at the time of the prophecy of Amos. The doubling up of the word Pasha, rebellion, and the references to multiple locations of idolatrous worship Firmly establish the indictment concerning the sin of the people. The next phrasing reads, And bring to the morning your blood sacrifices, after three days, from tithes. This is to say, bring your apostate blood sacrifices to your counterfeit altar on high places not approved by God, Go about your superstitious three-day rituals and bring your tithes, which should have been instead brought to Yehoshalayim. By all means, pretend to follow some small aspect of what's commanded in the Torah by syncretizing it with the practices of idol worship. Go ahead, practice your sin. See what happens. Verse 5 reads, and offer a sacrifice of smoke from yeast, a thanksgiving, and proclaim free will offerings, making them heard. For this you all love, children of Israel, declares Adonai, the Lord, Master, Yer'ehavah, mercy. This first phrase, "and offer a sacrifice of smoke from yeast, a thanksgiving," is sarcasm. It concerns Israel's apostate practices. God commands in the Torah that yeast not be offered with a burnt offering. Leviticus two eleven reads No grain offering which you bring to Yudhe shall be made with yeast, for you shall not offer up in smoke any yeast or any honey as an offering by fire to Yudhave. Yeast represents sin. To offer a symbol of sin to God as a gift is abhorrent. Ironically, the actions of the northern tribes in syncretizing heathen worship are well represented in an offering of a symbol of sin. They have at this point in history been repaying God's love with sin-filled rebellion. The next phrase reads, and proclaim free will offerings, making them heard, making them known. Not only are the sacrifices and offerings apostate, they are also being practiced as nothing more than a show of piety and an act of spiritual pride performed for the eyes of others. The next phrase reads, For this you all love, children of Israel declares Adonai, the Lord, yud heh mercy. At this time in our history, our modus operandi was to seek glory for ourselves at the expense of the vulnerable and in direct opposition to the commandments of God. Ironically, the things we loved to do were acts of hatred not only against the poor, but also toward ourselves. The same is true today only the true love of god can deliver us from our self-destructive behaviours verse 6 reads and also i gifted you clean teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places yet you have not continually returned to me declares yudahavai mercy the lord this first phrase and i gifted you Clean teeth in all your cities. It may seem strange to us as modern readers, but the cleanness of teeth can be understood in two ways. First, it may be a euphemism for famine, as some suggest, or on the other hand, it may refer to God bearing his teeth at Israel in an act of anger. The latter seems more likely given the prophesied invasion of the cities. The next phrase reads, and lack of bread in all your places. This is clearly a metaphor for famine. You can reference 2 Kings 8.1 to support this. The phrase in all your places indicates nationwide famine. Israel has been given these physical warnings of famine and invasion as a call to repentance. Finally, we hear, "Yet you have not continually returned to me," declares Jordavave, the Lord. This phrase appears five times in this chapter. It is a heartbreaking observation that indicates Israel's constant turning away from God in spite of the many warnings and the physical discipline God has given in order to provide an opportunity for repentance. The Hebrew does not simply say, you have not returned to me, but you continually choose not to return to me. This is a description of a way of life rather than addressing a single act of refusal. At this point in our history, we were willfully and continually turning our backs on God. Verse 7 reads, and also... I withheld from you the particular rain continually for the three months before harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, but on another city I did not cause it to rain. A portion of one was rained on, and another portion, not rained on, would wither. The withholding of the timely rains that precede the harvest is a kind of shock and awe campaign. Without these rains, the harvest would be meagre and famine would be perpetuated due to the poor seed return. We note that as a counterpoint to Israel's perpetual turning away, the rains are perpetually withheld. When one rejects the supplier of water, water is withheld. Therefore, again, our sinful actions become self-harm. In addition to this, God had brought about erratic rainfall within smaller locations so that on one side of a city rain fell and on the other the land dried up for lack of rain. As a result, there would have been infighting among the inhabitants of the cities and a tendency for those who benefited from rainfall to hoard supplies. Verse 8 reads, And staggering, two or three cities go to another city to drink water and are not sated. Yet you have not continually returned to me, declares Yodhe Mercy, the Lord. A lack of food from grain and fruiting trees was one thing, but a lack of drinking water is another thing altogether. Water is primary to human survival. Without it, we die. In spite of Israel experiencing these hardships, she had not turned toward God. This repetition of the phrasing, yet you have not continually returned to me, declares yud heh Mercy, the Lord, becomes weightier when we realize that while Israel has suffered these droughts and famines, rather than turning to God for help, they had turned to either God and the heathen gods in syncretized invocation, or simply to the heathen gods, gods of fertility, gods of rainfall, the Ba'alim, the false masters of the pagan nations who were close to them. Verse 9 reads, I struck you all, with blight and mildew which increases in your orchards and vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees which have been devoured by worms yet you have not continually returned to me declares Judah vave mercy the lord Every time a disciplining action is alluded to, the phrase, Yet you have not continually returned to me, declares Yudhei Vavhei, mercy, the Lord, follows. And each time the heart condition of the people is further exposed. The fruiting trees described represent prosperity and celebration, the wine, the figs, healing and spiritual strength. The olives. The metaphor exposes the spiritual and physical decay of the souls of the people. Verse 10 reads I sent among you a plague in the way of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses, and the stench of your camps rose up in your nostrils. Yet you have not continually returned to me. Declares Yodhe Vavhe Mercy, the Lord. We read this first phrase: "I sent among you a plague in the way of Egypt." This can be understood to be likening the punishment of God against Israel during this time to those plagues that were sent against Egypt, the plagues we read about in Exodus chapters seven through twelve, or God may be referring to the specific plague Israel experienced on her way out of Egypt on her journey in the desert, a plague we read about in Numbers 16.46. The latter seems more likely given that the Hebrew text reads in the way rather than in Egypt. Verse 11 reads, I overturned you all. Like when as Elohim, as God, as Judge, I overthrew Sedom and Amorah, that is Sodom, and Gomorrah, and you were like a log snatched from burning, yet you have not continually returned to me, declares yod Mercy, the Lord." The list of literal and metaphorical calamities reaches its crescendo with this reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. This allusion is multifaceted in that it infers that Israel's sins have caused her to descend to depths of depravity equal to those of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their destruction, therefore, will be similar, however, God in his mercy reached in and grabbed Israel from the burning fire, a reference to the fiery sulfur that rained on Sodom and Gomorrah. Like a log pulled out before it can be consumed, charred but in one piece, God delivered her. We note that the metaphor puts the hand of the one who delivers the log at risk of harm. God has given of himself in order to deliver Israel, however, the repetition comes again. Yet you have not continually returned to me, declares YHWH, mercy, the Lord. Verse 12 reads: Therefore, this I will do to you, Israel. As a consequence for it, I will do this to you: Prepare to meet your God, Israel. This draws together all the imagery of the previous verses and denotes both terrifying punishment and reconciliatory promise. The phrase, therefore, this I will do to you, Yisrael, as a consequence for it, I will do this to you, again firmly establishes the certainty of the coming punishment. Then we read, Prepare to meet your God, Yisrael. The way the reader receives this phrasing determines the outcome. A refusal to prepare will result in meeting God, the judge of Yisrael, while choosing to prepare through returning to Yudhei Vavhei, mercy, will mean suffering the consequence of sinful actions in this physical world but also being given an opportunity to meet yud heh in the desert of exile on a journey that returns Israel to the land of promise and salvation. The principle can be applied by all believers. We ask ourselves, are we ignoring God's admonishment of preparation and thus reaping self-destruction? Or are we walking in repentance and receiving God in an intimate meeting, a meeting between Creator and creation, a meeting of redemption, reconciliation, born from His love, which comes from His holiness? The repentant prepare and receive mercy from the judge, while the unprepared are condemned. Being unprepared when we have been warned is sin. Neither culture nor personality are an excuse for laziness in action. Verse 13 reads, For behold, now, pay attention, he who forms mountains and creates breath, spirit, wind, and tells to a person what he is thinking, he who fashions dawn, hovering, covering, and treads upon the high places of earth. Yod Hei Vav hei, mercy, the Lord. Elohai, God, judge. Tzvaot, who goes warring, is his name. The first phrase, for behold, now pay attention, he who forms mountains and creates Ruach, breath, spirit, wind. The Lord reminds Israel that he is the creator, that he both forms that which is created and creates life, ruach, from nothing. The ruach, wind, created from nothing, moves the dust of the earth. The ruach, breath of God, gives neshama, eternal convergent existence, to the dust forming humanity. The roach, spirit, of human beings is created by ha-roach, the spirit, Elohim, creator and judge of the universe. The next phrase reads, and tells to a person what he is thinking. The ambiguity seems intentional. God both knows every thought of a human being before it is thought and speaks his divine thoughts to human beings according to their ability to receive his word. The penultimate phrasing reads, He who fashions dawn, hovering, covering, and treads upon the high places of the earth. This is an allusion to the creation account of Genesis 1. The Spirit of God hovers over the deep and forms the earth. He is creator and ruler over all things. Additionally, and with regard to the apostate worship which was being performed at the time of the prophecy of Amos, God treads on the highest places used by the wicked as shrines to false gods. He grinds all idols to dust beneath his feet. The God of Israel has no beginning or end. He is all-existing and therefore has no maker, because by necessity all that is made has a beginning. Throughout scripture, the names of persons are a summation of their character attributes. When Israel is lost in rebellion, what is the name of her God? We read, yod heh vav Mercy, The Lord, elo God, Judge, Tzva'ot, who goes warring, Shmo, is his name. His name then is Mercy, the righteous judge, who goes warring to save his people. Thanks for joining me again. As is always the case, the notes for this episode are available on the Yaakov's Commentary section of our website www.bethmalek.com and further notes for previous episodes can also be searched using the search box at the top of each page of our website. Please join me for the next episode a line-upon-line study of Sefer Amos Chapter 5 Shalom lechem.